going on FCS football fans welcome to the FCS opening drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting I am David Hassig and to my left the czar of the playbook Emery Hunt Emery good morning good morning sir what's going on with you it is a great day the NFL is back week one action wrapping up tonight with the uh with back two Monday night games we had a great action of NFL football but some amazing FCS action to cover by the way only Cleveland could snap a losing streak with a tie yeah, that was tough, man. How you break your losing streak with a non-win? <laughs> I mean, only Cleveland can find a way. Again, also, uh, to all of our Jewish listeners, I have a happy new year. First of the Jewish holidays uh, was last night at sundown, so we hope you have a blessed new year. So we want to always get that in there. Also, folks, if you want to listen to all of our podcasts, you can go to iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't forget to search Football Game Plan in the podcast section. You can follow us at footballgameplan.com or youtube.com slash footballgameplan for all the videos. If you watch the videos, you get more than what you get here on the podcast. You get some supplemental education to your football knowledge. So we're just saying, check out the videos. Always check out the videos because we give you more in-depth previews, more of the games that we don't cover on this podcast, which is important. And you could also check them out on Stats website, fcs.football. So, again, you know, check us out. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. Let's get into week two, Emery. We're already well underway here in the FCS, and there were several games that we had our eye on going into last week, but we got to start with really the upset of the weekend. The Black Bears of UMaine have done it again. Now, the first week, okay, they beat UNH. They, they swatted UNH, but they lost Trevor Knight. Fair enough. UMaine follows that up. They go down 21-0 on the road at FBS Western Kentucky and win the game 31-28. I'm going to ask you this if, before you go into your quick review. Is UMaine this year's Elon? That's a great point. That's a great question because they can be. They have the FBS win. They have a dominant performance against a, a rival opponent in New Hampshire, a conference win, which is huge. Yes, they can be this year's Elon. I've just been very impressed with what they've done as a whole. And to go in to Western Kentucky, and I know Western Kentucky is not the same team that we saw last year where they had Correct. the quarterback, had all the receiving options, but this is still an offense that puts up points. This is still an FBS team. This is still 85 scholarships compared to 65. Yep. Credit to Coach Harasmiak for going in there, having his defense ready, having his offense ready, which is the real surprise this year for, for Maine. And going and getting the win, that was a huge win for not only the program, but for the FCS. And Chris Ferguson, again, with another solid performance in this game. I mean, another three touchdowns. He was only 11 of 28, so he wasn't over the top, but he still threw for 185. Yeah. I mean, on 11 receptions, that's more than enough. But again, the combination of Fitzpatrick and Jefferson in the backfield, the thunder and lightning effect, you have a, to- a solid two-back system. You can beat anybody if you have that system, and it's effective. We've seen that in the NFL. We've seen that in the FBS. We're seeing it in the FCS. It's all over the place. Um, let's move on to the next game here. That um, This was probably the easy, easiest, yeah, easily the best game of the week, Eastern Washington versus Northern Arizona. We thought the game was ruined in the first quarter. <laughs> it turned out to still be a classic. Eastern Washington, though, proving their quality, 31-26 over Northern Arizona. 
Case Kukas goes down in the first quarter with an injury for the Lumberjacks. They still bounce back. They do a great job. Daniel Bridge, uh, uh, God, comes in and throws for three touchdowns in the in relief effort. But Eastern Washington just enough with uh, Gage Gubru. Yeah, Gubru looks impressive once again, and their offense is right on pace to put up some monster numbers the rest of the season. It's always tough for Northern Arizona because I feel as though the last three years has always been one injury or the other. Yeah, you know, one year you lose. Gubru, I mean, I'm sorry, Cookus. The next year you lose Butler. This year you lose Gubru, not Gubru, I keep saying Gubru, but they, <laughs> they're both similar passers. Yes. But you lose Cookus again, and we don't know how long Cookus is going to be out. Uh, right. So it's still tough because that's a team that I had pegged for big things this year. Great win for Eastern Washington, even a, an even bigger loss for Northern Arizona considering the injury. But you talk about Eastern Washington, a total balance attack. Gubru was fantastic, but Sam McPherson. Great game on the ground, 22 carries for 161. The symbol Webster, though, seven catches, 176, and two scores. Was very impressive, but a nice win for Eastern Washington. Let's go a little off the radar now, and this was a game that we had, were saying this is going to be an intriguing one. Uh, Duquesne versus Valparaiso. Duquesne holds on, 23-21. It wasn't the prettiest of ball games, but A.J. Hines steps up again, and he's proving why he should be an NFL prospect. Well, good players are going to play good right and that's the saying because you talk about their their horse back there in the backfield A.J. Hines won the Jerry Rice award two years ago was up for the Walter Payton last year this is a guy that they have to continue to feed the football to when they're playing winning football it's because Hines is having a big day on the ground in Duquesne after that week one showing against UMass has quietly righted the ship and looks to be back in play for the NEC Daniel Parr, a little bit off his, off his game again, though. You know, no touchdown passes in this one. He threw for 235, but this is why Duquesne was successful last year for most of the years that they had a balanced attack. But if the passing game gets doesn't get corrected pretty soon, though, they might be in a little bit of trouble in the Northeast. Yeah, that could be a real issue moving forward, especially if they're able to fight their way through and it comes down to them and another team in the NEC in a, a must-win situation. You can't win those type of games with a one balanced you know attack on offense or one-sided attack on offense unless you're an option team because that's your your only option right uh because with even even within that you have three options dive give pitch but if you go in there with a non-balanced attack in a let's say essential essentially a conference championship game you're going to always struggle exactly let's move on to um another game here sam houston state taking on prairie view uh, Sam Houston coming in as the number four team. They had their first game postponed. This should still be simple and nice and rested. They only won 41-32. Prairie View A&M gives another scare to a big-time opponent, but Sam Houston just gets through. Young team still trying to figure out how to win in Prairie View. And again, this was a torrential downpour. And there was a part in this game, a point in this game where Prairie View actually had the lead. And they were they intercepted Mark, Mike Darre twice the transfer from Rutgers one going back for a touchdown that really jump started their comeback so keep an eye on Prairie View I know Sam Houston State was able to fight through and win which was expected and you give them credit for doing that and overcoming adversity especially with the rain delay and things of that nature but right. I came away from this game more impressed with Prairie View more so than Sam Houston State yeah. I think Prairie View, to me, looks like the clear-cut favorite in the swag. Wow, he's gone that far, folks. And Again, a shout-out, though, to Dewanya Tucker, who had a great game, 21 carries for 245. In those, as you said, in those conditions, 
certainly eat hard to hold on to the ball as a running back, but he did a tremendous job last night. You talk about a, a guy that's already on the radar for the Walter Payton Award. I mean, this is what, his second 200-plus yard effort? I think so, yeah. In three games? Yeah, that'll do. Well, one last game here uh, before we talk about where Emory was this past weekend, and that is UC Davis against San Diego. This is a game that was going to be interesting to watch, see if San Diego, you know, how they uh, do against a bigger conference opponent, UC Davis, coming off a real impressive win in Week 2, and they follow it up 54-21 over the Toreros. Jake Meyer, solid again. Gilliam with three more touchdowns on the ground. This UC Davis team is much more balanced than people give them credit for. Yeah, if you're looking at a dark horse in the Big Sky Conference, now if Cookers can't return, you push down northern Arizona and you elevate UC Davis mm-hmm. as a team because they're playing good defense, they're running the football well. Jake Meyer, we just talked about Dewanya Tucker for Prairie View A&M being a, a guy that you want to take seriously as far as the Walter Payton Award. Yep. Jake Meyer is firmly on that list. And Meyer, again, he, he had, you know, went through for 302, only had one touchdown. Gilliam just kind of, he only had 46 yards rushing, but three touchdowns. It's called efficiency. Uh, but <laughs> uh, Anthony Lawrence did look good again there for San Diego. Threw a couple interceptions, but threw for 274. Um, this is, again, UC Davis, I would almost put them ahead of Weber now mm. at this point because Weber has not impressed me. Like, there's a solid team, and I understand they've got a lot of good pieces that aren't exactly firing on all cylinders. UC Davis is they're there already. They're in midseason form. I wouldn't be mad at you because I like how UC Davis is playing. Coach Hawkins has done a great job in putting that team uh, in the position to be successful for the long term. One other game I want to mention that really caught my attention, Sanford at Florida State. Sanford <laughs> had that game. It, it's it, it's it, the campaign, man. It, oh, man. You talk about – Devlin. 475 yards passing. Calvin McKnight was uncoverable against Florida State. Yeah. And you're talking about DBU. Yeah. They could not cover <laughs> McKnight. And Sanford had a lead in that game. They were going back and forth with Florida State. Very impressed how they competed in that situation on the road against a team like Florida State. That game was not supposed to be close. Yeah. Sanford made it an interesting game throughout credit the Bulldogs for doing that. Several FCS teams, they didn't get the win, but they certainly made their presence felt uh, against FBS opponents. Let's talk about the games you were at, Emory. We we, we talked about this. Oh, we're, he's got the Georgetown game. The offense is finally starting to click. And then Mother Nature said, no, 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 you don't. No, no, no. No, no you're just going to struggle through all of this. Talk about this game against Campbell because it was, it was a slog. Yeah, it was a torrential downpour, man. We came in with a lot of excitement for Georgetown's offense. And talking to Coach Scarlato during the week, he's, he spoke about how he liked their passing game. And Rob Spence, the new offensive coordinator who was at Morgan State, at Bethune-Cookman, has a lot of experience in explosive dynamic offenses. And you have all the pieces in place for Georgetown to have success. The weather just didn't cooperate. They started to get some things going but couldn't really uh, – get a grasp on what was actually happening on the field from a consistency standpoint that's going to happen with new offenses right um and so but you saw the seeds for success wesley bowers a linebacker he's a sophomore i swear this dude made every tackle for georgetown (laughs) and he's going to be one of those postseason all patriot league performers how he played blaze brown's a safety that was phenomenal another guy that's a big time playmaker and i came away impressed with their uh wide receiver their freshman I'm sorry, and Joshua Tomas, he's also yep. uh, the top returner. And every kickoff return, he, it seems as though he had the ball at the plus 40, at the 50, at the minus 40, just keeping Georgetown in great field position. Yep. Also got a chance to see uh, Sean Springs. 
you talk about a guy that was one of my favorite players to watch growing up, uh, you know, coming out of Ohio State, right. first-round pick. I think he has a Hall of Fame career. He put on some size. His son actually plays receiver for Georgetown and, and was able to have some success. Campbell, we talked to Coach Mentor throughout the week, and he was excited about his defense. And, boy, did they step up big time. They yep. have a really good linebacker in Jake, uh, Jack Ryan, a defensive lineman in Terrence Harper who was sort of tough to block. Richard Jr. Six nine three ten. That's not a that's not a man. That's a treat. He looked like Patrick Ewan out there as far as like height and size. So he mutumboed everything. Exactly. It was just so amazing to see. And speaking of size, Rocky Reed, their running back, six feet, about two forty. He started to wear down Georgetown's stout yeah. defense as the game went on. As the weather got worse, they just put the ball in the belly of Reed. And he was able to run their way to victory. And Aaron Blockman, you know, didn't really do much in the passing game, but you saw the talent that they have. This team, Campbell is built for the Big South. Yep. They're going to be really good, and just it was just a good game overall to, to broadcast. There are several teams that are going to be making an impact in the Big South very, very oh, yeah. quickly. We'll talk about that in a little bit. What else were you this Because you had that first game, and then you, you, you survived the weather. You got in your kayak, and you <laughs> headed down somewhere else. What, what was the other game you went to? Yeah, I went down I-95 to catch the Richmond-Fordham game, which was intriguing to me because you had four prospects on display uh, two guys that were Senior Bowl watch list guys, both on Fordham's team, and Isaiah Searwright, the tight end, and Dylan Maben, the cornerback. Now, Maben didn't play because he was injured, but I got a chance to see Searwright. And on the flip side, you saw Deshaun Brissett, the wide receiver for Richmond, and also Andrew Clyde, the defensive lineman for Richmond as well. And Richmond really was able to have their way with Fordham. Um, I came away more impressed with how each individual player played, right? Uh, Sear Wright looks all the parts of an NFL tight end. Explosive speed, really good route runner. Um, you know, had a couple plays where he 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 showed his skill set of going up and snatching the ball out the air. The other tight end for Richmond, I thought was was outstanding as well in his own right. I didn't know much about him until I came into the game. That's Stephon Jacob, 6'4", 255, and he impressed as a blocker. And also the two opportunities he had to catch the football, he, he showed that he was comfortable catching the ball away from his body. The receiver Deshaun Brissett was phenomenal. You talk yeah. about a guy that, that looks the part, has a speed component, great body control, tracks the ball well. Coming out of the half, he caught a small, a short little pass, broke two tackles, and outran everybody in route to a 75-yard touchdown. So impressed with him. And when you talk about what's coming down the pike for Richmond, yeah, yes, they have. I think their biggest issue right now is along the offensive line. Fordham, despite being undersized, maybe giving 10 pounds to Richmond, their offensive line – had issues with Fordham, and it wasn't until late to the game was well decided where the running game for Richmond started to take take uh, advantage, and Deontay Thompson had a really big 50-something yard touchdown run, um, but overall, Richmond is a junior-laden team. Yeah. Next year, Richmond may be a, a preseason top three team. You talk about in the secondary, across the board, 6'2", yeah. 195, 6'2", 185, 6'2", 180. Length, athleticism, and ball skills, along with pressure. Keep an eye on junior defensive end Maurice Jackson. I talked to his defensive line coach, Gary Bailey, and he told me Jackson came in um, as a as a receiver or a safety or something Jeez. like that. He played he played a skill position. Now he's one of the more feared pass rushers. Uh, and Kobe Ritten, also the sophomore defensive tackle, had a big day because all the attention was on Clyde. Ritten was able to, to feast one on one. So. I think Richmond's going to be good this year. I said that before in our preseason. But in, in next year, 
Richmond is going to be a national title contender, in my opinion. So the breaking news is the CAA is deep. Very deep. Uh, outstanding analysis there, Emery. <laughs> the uh, I, give, I give the people what they want. <laughs> let's let's move, uh, move on to week three now, and we're going to talk previews. Wait, why are you talking previews? There's three weeks in. Well, this is the opening weekend for the Ivy League. The Ivy uh, starts things off. It must be a much tougher syllabus week than I'm used to in college. But that's what they go through. <laughs> they don't start until really week three here. But the Ivy League is about to get underway. Let's talk about it, Ember, because, again, this is a conference that doesn't get a lot of attention. They don't make the postseason. They don't go to the uh, to the FCS playoffs. But some historic programs, some very good programs, and some great players coming out of this conference Let's talk about the Ivy League. And we saw last year, again, the rise of Columbia. Yale was really good, really going off the backs of youth. Harvard kind of fell down the ladder a little bit. Princeton was in, in the air. But there were so many teams that were able had a chance to win this whole thing. This Ivy League, I think, is going to be just as open going into 2018. I agree. And it's tough to call because you're going to get the rebound of Harvard. You're going to see, you know, Penn maybe take a step back or maybe they may surprise. You got Columbia, you got Yale like you talked about. Cornell has some pieces to, to put something together to be a fly in the ointment. Yep. So does Brown. So Dartmouth is always competitive. I think that's going to be the key. I think we're in for another exciting year in the Ivy League. I know that's probably a cop-out to our listeners. But I think this this conference, to be honest, is just one of those conferences where you really don't know. You have an idea, but every year you're going to get surprised. Exactly. And you have, all, you always had a, you have a few upsets every year, too. Out-of-conference games where you turn around and it's like, Wait a minute, this, that, that team's not supposed to win. I mean, you, and you look at, at all the way down the schedule, Brown starts this year off with Cal Poly, which is going to be a better game because Cal Poly is, is, is much improved. You've got Columbia. They open up with Central Connecticut State this week, which, for the, honestly, three years ago, that's a Central Connecticut State blowout win. Columbia now is the, probably the favorite in that ball game. What other big games are you looking at in the Ivy League schedule going forward this week and beyond? That people should keep an eye on. Well, there's two games that, uh, three really, that catch my attention this week. One because of the historic element in it, and that's the Cornell Delaware game. That's actually the first meeting between the two schools. Really? I was shocked when I heard that because yeah, that's crazy. You know, you're in close proximity essentially, and the fact the fact that these two teams have never met on the football field was very interesting. Yeah, too. only only played one time. Actually, they played last year, which was the, the first the time. first time. So, like, but still, the first time that you know, they have two, as you said, two historic programs going against each other. Um, I mean, Delaware ran away with that result last year, but as we've seen, Delaware is a gettable team. So, Cornell, it's in your court now. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to watch that one. The the uh, Dartmouth Georgetown game, I think, is going to be interesting as well. Again, with with Georgetown, you know, we'll see what their offense can rebound after terrible conditions. But Dartmouth had a solid season last year. So it'll be interesting to see where they are in the hierarchy, too. And Yale, Holy Cross is always going to be a good contest because of both teams, I think, are essentially built the same way. And that's going to be a very close and competitive game. And now, because of what happened earlier this this year, how about this Princeton-Butler game? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. We can't, you can't overlook Butler. Yeah. Ex-Youngstown State. So that game now, now if Butler is able to pull off the victory here, they have two high-profile wins because I think Princeton's going to be really good in the Ivy this year. And so now they will have wins against Princeton and Youngstown State. Yeah, and talking in Princeton, though, they have the Butler game on the road. Then they get Monmouth. 
That's which, the game I'll be do, doing the radio which broadcast Which is for. going to be a very interesting contest. They also have Lehigh on their schedule. Everybody's got Lehigh on yeah. their schedule. Uh, Lehigh has at least 40 games. Exactly. And let, let's talk about some of the big players. We had, you know, again, you had two draft picks out coming out of the Ivy last year, neither of which were the award winners, the Bushnell Cup award winners uh, who go to the offensive and defensive players of the year. Who are your favorites, do you think, to bring home that award? Like two or three names that we should keep an eye on for the Bushnell Cup. John Lovett, number one. Yeah. Princeton's do-everything quarterback. The FCS Tim Tebow. I'm all in on John Lovett and what he can do. (laughs) I just want to see what he can do this year, taking steps as a passer. We saw last year Chad Kanoff do the same thing um, and, and become a more polished passer because he didn't have to worry about the Lovett effect. Well, let's see what happens with Lovett now that he he doesn't have to worry about the Kanoff effect as far as like rotating in and out and playing different positions. We know he's a great athlete. We know he's going to put up the rushing numbers. If he can just take significant strides as a passer, in addition to what he can do on the ground, to me, he won't only win the Bushnell Award offensively, but he would also be in play for the Walter Payton Award as well. Wow, that's a that's a bold statement. I want keep an eye on Zane Dudek as well, the running yeah. back from Yale. I can't believe he's still an underclassman. He should not be an underclassman at this point. But he had a tremendous year last year, ran for over 1,100 yards. I think he is definitely a, a guy to watch on a Yale team that is full of young talent from on both sides of the football. Uh, talk about the defensive side. Who do you like as a defensive player to watch? Going back to Princeton, Kurt Haluba, the defensive end, who is back now. He was hurt last year. And you talk about a guy at 6'4", 250, that can disrupt the passer. Yeah, live in the backfield. I was at the Lafayette game last year where he got actually ejected for a targeting hit, which was wishy-washy, but this guy is a disruptive ball of football player. This guy just gets in the backfield and causes all kinds of problems. So I could, th- I think we could see, and Princeton has done this before, I believe, where they've had the offensive and defensive player of the year, or maybe Harvard has done I know it has been done before where you have teammates uh, win the Bushnell Cup, but I think both could come from Princeton this year because Haluba will make enough plays on defense as far as sacks and pressures and TFLs are concerned to be in contention for it. I certainly agree with you there. Let's move on to our next segment here, folks, though. It's week three, and we're going to go into a little bit of a role-playing segment here. Now, we've got our list here, and we are going to assume the roles of these teams or people or coaches or whoever we want to be, and... I'm going to have you start off here, Emery, and you are North Alabama. You are now 2-0. You defeated Alabama A&M 25-20 in a big rivalry game, big battle for recruiting. What is your thought process if you're North Alabama right now, coming up from D2 and you're 2-0? This Division One thing ain't that hard. Because <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. And if I'm North Alabama, I'm like, you know what? We've always been that team. We've beaten FBS opponents. I talked about it during our Big South preview. They yep. beat my Raging Cajuns back in 97 in double overtime. Um, they had an NFL draft pick that went on to have a long, successful career at linebacker for the Arizona Cardinals and Ronald McKinnon. So we've done this before. We've been a big-time program. So playing up a level is not new to us, and that's why I believe we're going to win even more games and we have a big game coming up. We've proven ourselves against South, uh, Southern Utah. We've proven ourselves against an athletic team in Alabama A&M with a great passing attack and a great receiver in Isaiah Bailey. We have a big matchup this week against North Dakota State, a true barometer test of where we are as a program, and we're up for the challenge. Exactly. exactly. I, I would agree. I think it's, it's, the question is either, wow, we're much further along than we thought, or 
this is exactly what we thought we were going to be. And I think it's the second one because they're full of confidence right now. I'll let you play the role of your favorite team. You're Kennesaw State. Mm. Okay. You're 2-0, and or 1-1, I'm sorry, should be 2-0. and Should have won that first game. But right. you're 1-1. and You just beat the doors off Tennessee Tech. What are you feeling right now? Relaxed because everything is back on track. First game was an FBS opponent for them. You know, it was, you know, it was difficult. Was it winnable? Absolutely it was winnable. But you're still talking up a level with more scholarships. They, I mean, Kennesaw State just rolled over Tennessee Tech. It wasn't even close. Set a school record for yards in a game. Holland and Burks in the, as a part of the rushing attack is solid. The defense, though, is real good. So if I'm, if I'm Kennesaw State, I'm relaxed. We're back on track. We're focused. This Big South is ours to lose, so... Let's just stay where we're at. Speaking of favorite teams, <laughs> the URI Rams, you have just gone to 2-0 and after crushing Albany 45-28. No one believed in you except for Emory Hunt. What are you thinking if you're URI right now? Do you want to not be noticed or do you want to say, here I am, I'm on the stage, look at me? You know what? putting on my URI hat and sweatshirt, I will definitely say that, yes, I want to be noticed. I want to be talked about because we want people to take notice of the progress that we've made as a program. We want us, we want people to come out and support the Rams football program. We know the basketball team will get that support. Come and support the football team because we've turned things around. We have done a great job. And I'm obviously speaking as coach Jim Fleming. I have done a great job in turning around this program building trust and building continuity within the, the scheme and system and recruiting well and it's showing out there on the field. It has shown itself the last three seasons, but many wasn't paying attention except Emory Hunter football game plan. <laughs> Check out the interview I did with him on footballgameplan.com slash FBGPU. Shout out to Craig Haley. So you said all that to say this. Pay attention to us as we have now positioned ourselves to maybe we won't win the CAA, but it's not out of the question. But we have positioned ourselves to, to take away one of these at-large bids in the FCS playoffs. So the Rams are rolling. Go, Rody. Sounds good to me. And, and Judge Juan Lawson, people better learn who he is because he had another impressive game, four more touchdowns. Who's the next one? Who, who you got for me? Let, let, let's have a challenge here. You know, I'm going to give you an easy one. Oh, come on. You got Towson's quarterback, Tom Flacco. Mm. And, Tom, talk about your performance so far uh, in the season uh, with your Tigers? Well, as a top five player in the FCS through week two, I am very happy with where I'm at. People should have known that I was going to be this good, and I need some help because this man went 35 of, four, of 51, 345, and three touchdowns and lost. So if I'm Tom Flacco, but again, if, if he's anything like his brother, he is a much more, he, he has almost no ego. If you look at, at Joe Flacco, very team-orientated. He's always you know, picking his teammates up, and I'm sure t- his brother Tom is doing the same thing at Towson because this is a team that's is building up, and he is the cornerstone. He's not just the quarterback. He's not just you know a future captain if he isn't the captain already. He is the cornerstone of this program. So he's doing his part. He's leading by example at this point, but I'll stand by what I said. Right now, he's a finalist for me for the Walter Payton Award. Because he has done an outstanding job with less than some of the other guys that are up for this award. This Towson team is up and coming, but they're not there yet. 
he's right there right now, throwing for 345 in his last game. Tom Flacco, you know, I'm happy. I'm ready to lead. Help me out. Come with me. Follow me up. I find it amazing that we're talking about Towson's passing game. That's huge. Yeah. Because we're always talking about how great they are up front. The punishing running game. You talk about Darius Victor and prior to him, Terrence West. Yeah. And now we're talking passing with with the Tigers. I think that's huge for their team moving forward. They're going to be a factor in this this, uh, subdivision. All right, I got an, another one for you here. And, and this is, again, this is a program that's overlooked quite often. You are the Salukis of Southern Illinois. You are, you know, you've had a decent start to the season. But last week, you led at halftime at Ole Miss. You lost the game 76-41. What are you thinking, though, when you're going into that locker room at halftime with a lead? We can compete with anyone in the FCS. We put up. A lot of points against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is going to put up a lot of points on everybody. It right. looked like a basketball score. I get that, but I have to. As speaking as their head coach, I have to like where we are because we went out in Week One. We knocked off Murray State. We put up a lot of points against Murray State, forty-nine points. Now we put up forty-one points against Ole Miss, an SEC team that's going to compete in that division. We're going to be one of those fly-in-the-ointment squads in the Missouri Valley Football Conference this year because of our offense. And I think if we're able to score points, we can get teams out of their game plan early, which means our defense can uh, essentially tee off on their one-dimensional approach. That's going to be huge for us. I'm excited where we are. I came away with it from that loss more amped to jump into conference play than I would have if we would have got blown out, which the score may say we got blown out. But like you said, we had a lead at halftime. We scored 41 points on an SEC team, 85 scholarships, top conference in the FBS. We're good right now as a Saluki. And 40-plus points each of the first two games. That's going to be very helpful going into week three against Southeast Missouri State. All right, who do you got, who do you got next for me? Final one for you, man. It's, it's an easy one. You're Northern Arizona talking about Case Cookies. Where do you go from here? Honestly, next man up. Because, you know, obviously Case Kukas is an incredible player. He's incredibly important to the fran- to this team. But what we proved against Eastern Washington, a top 10 team in this league and a top 10 team in the country, is that we've got depth at the quarterback position. You, you know, you lo- it's, you, we, we've seen it with UNH, who have just fallen down a cliff after losing Trevor Knight. You know, they lose to UMaine, they lose again this week. To Colgate. To Colgate of all teams. I mean, Colgate, solid program. Shout out to the Raiders. But they've fallen down the cliff. Northern Arizona loses their star quarterback in the first quarter of a game against a top 10 opponent, and there's no panic. There's no panic. You go to Daniel Bridgegad, throws for three touchdowns in the second half, throws for 231. Is there going to be an adjustment period? Probably. Hopefully the injury situation with Kukas isn't serious. But for me, if I'm Northern Arizona... I'm okay right now. You know, you have to have that confidence that whoever is next for you on that depth chart is going to perform. And that was just proven in a very stressful situation. They didn't get the victory. But if I'm Northern Arizona, it, there's no panic yet. I don't think there's any panic for me. I think I'm still a top two or three team in the big sky. I still think we're a playoff contender. Let's just move on. Let's get ready to go. One more in this segment before we take our break. You are the Sanford Bulldogs, Emory. Yes. You got a crazy, crazy game against Florida State this past week. Devlin Hodges throws for 475 
and only two touchdowns. He threw four picks. If you're Samford, where are you in the hierarchy in the FCS after that game? You have to put us in the top ten because we are a team that can score. We know that. I think in this ball game, we show we can play a little defense too mm-hmm. because this is Florida State. This is mm-hmm. really Taggart, this is that up-speed offense. And I know a lot of folks, uh, David Hashagan himself, questioned whether or not we're going to have good defense this year at Sanford. And we we watch the FCS kickoff videos. We listen to the FCS opening drive podcast, and we use it as bulletin board material. We've seen Craig Haley's <laughs> rankings and, and all the articles he writes about our defense and lack thereof. We show we can slow down a team in the FBS, in the Power Five, with all the athletes out there and a great quarterback in DeAndre Francois at Florida State. We are now ready to compete, not just in the SOCON, but we're ready to compete in the FCS once we step foot in the playoffs. And yes, I'm guaranteeing that we're going to make the playoffs. I like the confidence, and I remember I said they were going to go undefeated in conference play, and I thought Devlin Hodges was going to win player of the year. So, okay, maybe the defensive guys have a little beef with me. Other than that, you should be fine with me. Come on, guys. Both we're going to take a quick break here on the FCS Opening Drive podcast. When we come back, both myself and Emery will have our top tens through week two of the season. We'll go through that. We've got some previews. We'll go through our telling trap unsung and the best games of the weekend going into week three stay with us so you've been thinking about changing careers well now's the perfect time to check out connecticut school of broadcasting we have nearby campuses in stratford connecticut westbury long island and hasbrook heights new jersey almost everything you hear on the radio everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals producers camera operators sound designers these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen connecticut school of broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production we've placed thousands since 1964. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. Welcome back, folks, to the FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Again, folks, you can listen back on any of our podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes. Search Football Game Plan in the podcast section. Don't forget, you can go to footballgameplan.com for all of Emery's material on anything you want to learn about about football. I mean, the, the man's a genius, so I don't know why... What ESPN's got to hire you at some point, right? You're just waiting on the phone call. Is that what is that what's happening at this point? Yeah, it's just we're just hammering out the logistics in the, in the numbers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and don't forget, folks, you can follow us on Twitter as well. We are at the FCS Kickoff, at FCS Opening Drive, and at Fball Game Plan for my man Emery. Emery, let's get into the second half of the show. We're two weeks in, and now it's time for the what? What do they call Mel Kuyper's the far too early big board edition? Let's go to the <laughs> far too early top ten. Through week two, we're going to go back and forth on this one. You'll give your number 10, I'll give my number 10, and we'll see how many we match up with, how many we share in the top 10. We'll talk about a couple of the surprise teams, too, here through the first couple weeks of the SES. I'm going to start with my number 10 team, and I'm going to start with the Sanford Bulldogs. Again, you know, coming off a tough loss, but against Florida State, you know, what are you going to do? 
Devlin Hodges had looked really, really impressive throwing for, you know, he's been all over the yard throwing touchdowns. Samford, for me, still is one of the most dangerous teams. Despite the one and one record, I've got them at number 10. Number 10, I had three teams I was uh, struggling with. Who can I put at number 10? So a lot of teams are very close to me. And this is my power poll, so not necessarily my top 25, but teams that I think are playing really good football, the top 10 teams, I believe, that are good football squads on both sides of the ball, even special teams. So with that said, I think number 10, Illinois State. The mm. Redbirds have only given up 10 points so far this season. 94 points they have scored. They're 2-0. One of the teams that I think could actually make the playoffs coming from the Missouri Valley Football Conference. So I have them at number 10. I would agree. with. I, I would. I, they've intrigued me so far, the Redbirds. I like where they're at. But I want to put Rhode Island and Towson there, too, just to give a little bit of intrigue. They're, they're right on the cusp, man. Still no love for UMaine. Still low no love for UMaine. This was number 10. I know, but still no lover. Oh, mm, okay. I have you main like there was literally a toss between them and Sanford. Oh, me. so you don't have them in your top ten? You you try to call me out. You even have Maine in your top. What's number nine? <laughs> number nine for me. I still have Kennesaw State in there. Again, lost in the first week to an FBS opponent, but should have won that game. Came back nicely with a win over Tennessee Tech. Very solid on the defensive side of the ball. The offense, you know, is going to click with the kind of offense that they run. That that. RPO, um, Kennesaw State for me still in there in the top ten at number nine. I love where your head's at, but I'm going with another option team at number nine. That's Wofford. I think the Terriers mm. are really good this year. Mike Ayer is there. Mike Ayer is gone. Doesn't matter. The option is the same. The defense is the same. They are still one of the more talented teams in the FCS, and they have an intriguing game this week. I can't wait to see that one. Contrast in styles. They play Wyoming. Very, yeah, that one's going to be That's going to be intriguing. West. So I, I like Wofford in my power poll at number nine. All right, num- number eight for me, I'm going Villanova Wildcats. Okay. Solid win in week two over Lehigh, 31-9. Bednarczyk is clicking on all cylinders. The defense has been solid against a Lehigh team that we know can put up 40, 50 points easily. Easily. Were completely shut down. The wings were clipped on ah, the Lehigh Mountain Hawks by the okay. Wildcats. The team was the steam was taken out of the train engine because you know you used to be the engineers. Fair, there, it's, I there's, tried. There's the historical knowledge. I bit, reached but a little bit. It, it, it was a little bit of a re- it wasn't an Odell Beckham one headed catch. I, I, I like yours better. Where do you got? What do you got on number eight? Since we're talking about the Patriot League, I put Colgate at number eight in mm. my power poll. Two and zero, impressive win against New Hampshire. Really strong win this past weekend against a very good uh, Wildcat team. Week one, we saw them totally just dismantle. Um, uh, I forgot who they played week one, but we saw them blow that team out, and it was a good. It was a good game. Yeah, Colgate. I mean, Colgate's the more the most impressive team. They beat Holy Cross. That what it is. They they were beating the brakes off Holy Cross. Holy Cross came back. That was a game that that they showed some metal and they really stepped up this past week. They really. Uh, fought hard against an inspired New Hampshire team. Two huge wins. One in conference, one out of conference, one against a CAA team. So Colgate, to me, earned that number eight spot. Number seven for me, I've got, I'm, I agree with Wofford in, in the top ten. I've got them a little bit higher. That option game just gives people fits. But overall, as you said, defensively, this team is stacked. Wofford has to be looked at as one of the best defensive teams in Division One. Not just FCS level for me. I think Division One, Wofford is 
snack top to bottom on the defense side of the ball. You know what the option game is going to give you. They've been very impressive. I got them at seven. At seven, I have North Carolina A&T. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I have them at seven and not higher is because, one, they are undefeated. They're 3-0. and They really took care of business against Gardner-Webb. That was a trap game for me. Uh, they took care of business there. They knocked off Jacksonville State. They knocked off East Carolina in the game. They had to come back. The reason why I have them low, despite all of those positives, the sloppy play, the penalties, the inconsistency on offense, and as they were able to demolish Gardner-Webb, let's see if they can get back on the right track with their passing game, with their running game. Uh, but their defense has been stout and consistent all season long, so I have them at number seven. Number six, I'm going with Sam Houston State. Mm. Only because they did not have a game in week one. Their game True. in week one was postponed. So, you go as you said, it's frustrating. You get to the first week and you don't play. You kind of get a, a little bit of complacency there. You know, you're a little bit disappointed. You didn't get to hit anybody. They played well enough against Prairie View. Prairie View gave them a, sh- a scare. But again, that wasn't the team they were prepping for for the whole summer. So I think Sam Houston still has enough in the bank. I think they're a little bit further down than what the polls will probably give them. But I've got Sam Houston still in there at number six. Here is where I have your humane bears. Yep. Because, again, to demolish a team in week one, they really got this New Hampshire thing kicked off. Uh, So they really started the downfall of the Wildcats. But it was an impressive showing on both sides of the ball. And to come off an, an FBS upset win against a Conference USA team, which is essentially the Patriot League of the FBS with all the teams that are in there being able to score points. And so to win that game in impressive fashion, how could you not take the main Black Bears seriously? So they're there for me at number six. Number five for me, I'm going with James Madison. Ooh. JMU. Now, the first, the, obviously this game this week, they called it at halftime because of lightning against Norfolk State. Not much you can do. They won 17 nothing technically. They didn't really impress me, though, in week one. We know what t- the talent they do have. Right. But the questions still remain for me on the offensive side of the ball. But defensively, they can, they can hang with anybody. I've got JMU in there at number five for me. Number five, I have Eastern Washington. I like where the Eagles are going. And the fact that they showed a ground game. Yes. Yes. In conjunction with what they do throwing the football. Well-balanced offense, I'm always a big fan of. They just became very, very dangerous. That's why I've got Eastern Washington at number four. Okay. I've got them right there. As you said, a balance. That, uh, they've always had the passing game. They've always had that. that that's that been their style for the last 10 years, 15 years. It's always been aired out, going deep. Um, but the running game now, that, ex- that extra element, if I'm going up against an Eastern Washington team now, if I'm a linebacker, I can't just be thinking about my pass defense. i got to be thinking, okay, they might come up and hit me in the mouth one or two times, and if I'm not ready for it, they're going to run over me and into the end zone. So <laughs> Eastern Washington, for me, they get that number four slot. Yeah, and for number four, I'm going right to Villanova. Mm-hmm. The fact that they're able to dominate on both sides of the line of scrimmage will take you far. They looked the part in both games. They dominated Temple. They just dominated Lehigh. Their offensive and defensive lines are going to be outstanding all season long. They are number four for me and a strong number four. Number three for me, I'm going A&T. Oh, wow. And this is why I'm going there. Yes, they're undefeated at 3-0. and That's the cop-out route. But as you said, they're not clicking yet. Right. They're 3-0 and without clicking. Imagine what's going to happen when all the pieces fall into place and they're going to just turn into a well-oiled machine that we saw last year. That's a great point. So A&T, I've got them at number three, because not just because of the 3-0, but because of the potential that they have moving forward. McNeese State at number three for me. Okay. I've been on this. I've been riding a cowboy 
uh, bandwagon for a while now. Just like the logo on the helmet. You're supposed that's to get off at there. eight seconds. You're supposed to get off at eight seconds. No, on I, that's me on the logo. That's me on top of the horse at the McNeese logo. Please, someone, someone, <laughs> somewhere ed- that, edit that in there. I would be just fantastic <laughs> to hang on the wall. Craig, get on it. Uh, but this is McNeese's year, I believe. Great offense. Tabari is playing phenomenal. He had a great game last weekend. They have a huge matchup, and it's actually going to be the stats FCS kickoff uh, football game plan game of the week. McNeese and Nichols. And this could go a long way in determining who can win the Southland and who's going to go far in the playoffs. But I think with the way they are always playing defense and now that their offense is balanced and they're throwing the football well and they're consistent there, this is a very strong team. Number two for me. I'm going to go with South Dakota State. Oh, I was waiting. I love the pregnant pause there. (laughs) Because, as you know, I did not give them too much of a chance. True. They played extremely well this week against a Montana State team that we were both very impressed with uh, in week one. South Dakota State, I still think when they hit some of the other opponents in in the uh, Missouri Valley, they're going to hit some trouble. But... They have played very, very well to start this season. They've only played one game. They had their first game postponed as well. Fair enough. Fair play. South Dakota State. I still want to see how the rest of the season goes. I think we're going to agree on number one, but number two for me is Kennesaw State. Mm. Watching them just completely dismantle Tennessee Tech, you know, is expected because Kennesaw is a really good team. But watching them play and the way they utilize those two offensive tackles, they're about 220 pounds, 230 pounds, Offensive tackles, yeah, but they're athletic. They're going to get out and cut blocking, which clears lanes for the running back or quarterback as far as whether he keeps it or pitches it. But to have pseudo tight ends essentially playing your your tackle position, it puts a defensive end at a, at a disadvantage because they're not quick enough to really meet them out there on the perimeter before they can get the, their blocks off. So this team just – they look the part, man. And if any option team, any triple option team, we haven't seen a triple option team this dominant that has a legit chance to get to the title game since Georgia Southern when yeah. they were in yeah. their heyday uh, in the FCS. So Kennesaw has that look. And for me, they are the strongest number two team. Number one, I mean, they only played one game. It's got to be North Dakota State. It's easily North Dakota State. Because they destroyed Cal Poly, who, again, we think are – a better team than people give them credit for. Right. But, I mean, jeez. I mean, it's just it's the Bison being the Bison. They are good on both sides of the ball, man. They have yeah. depth in the backfield. Secondary is strong. Uh, Robbie Grimsley is an outstanding safety. Um, I just like the way they play football. Coach Kleiman is – he does a good job of, of swatting down expectations and gets his team to, to focus on the task at hand, which is the next game. And that's why they're able to play the way they do – and dominate the way they are um, and, and be as dominant as the way they are. So I just think the Bison are a true football program. And right now, just based off my power poll, which is my version of the eye test, they are the best team. Now, yeah. there are some teams that just missed the cut. I talked about Towson, Rhode Island, but you notice I didn't have James Madison in my top ten. At all. Uh, Nichols, Sam Houston State, South Dakota State, and also South Dakota. I think all of those teams are really good football teams, but I just haven't seen it yet. I know Nichols knocked off Kansas, huge win. James Madison, there's like you said, there's something about JMU that it is is it doesn't feel quite right. Doesn't feel right just yet, you know. And Sam Houston State defense is going to always be a question mark for me, but their offense, if Mike Dare can can get going, 
and be consistent. But if he shows up like he did at Rutgers and like he did uh, this past weekend, granted, it was torrential downpour. So I can't really trust him just yet. South Dakota State, I have to see a little bit more. South Dakota, I want to see more consistency. But they are South Dakota is good. Their quarterback, I told people, don't worry about Strebler being gone. Simmons, their Austin Simmons, I believe is his name, is good in his own right, and he's a guy that is going to produce for them consistently. What to, if you got to uh, let's before we get into week three's preview here? What are two te- like two or three teams that have shocked you so far in the 2018 season? Davidson. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about we we joked about Lex Vegas in the preseason, but <laughs> Coach Abel has done a great job in, in getting those guys to win. They are what two and zero on the season. Something that's like that. huge for for Davidson. Uh, because that gives them confidence going into the rest of the Pioneer schedule, the Pioneer League schedule. And you talk about a team that defensively has only given up 41 points but has scored 83. And that's the Lex Vegas approach. Their offense now has yeah. has got some 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 pieces to it. Sacred Heart is another one that's surprised, 2-0, and and they look strong. They look like now a contender in the NEC. And also the two Alabama schools, North Alabama, we talked about them earlier, Alabama yeah. A&M. They could be the flying ointment in the East of the swag. Yeah. Uh, they they should have beaten North Alabama. So this is a really good team. First year head coach Kyle Maynard. I'm surprised by them. And Chattanooga, the mocks. Healthy this year. They're coming back. They're coming back. They are what? 2-0. and And their defense looks strong. Strong Offensively, they're great. Right now, it's, it's between them and Wofford. They're sitting there both undefeated. I know Western Carolina is undefeated as well, but the mocks. Keep an eye on them moving forward. I would agree with you on North Alabama. I've been very surprised by Butler as well in the Pioneer. The Pioneer has got they've got a couple teams now where you can easily say these are the teams that could challenge South uh, San Diego in that conference. And I didn't have the faith, but I think I might be getting the bug. URI shocking me in the CAA with how good they've been. Emory's got the look on his face like, yeah, I know. Yeah, I try to tell people, man. I know. I, I, I know they were going to be good. I'm just here. Just I'm, these takes going to get off. <laughs> Exactly. All right, Emery, so let's get into week three here. We're going to go into our previews now, and we're going to start again with the segment we did last week, our, my telling, trap, unsung, and best games of the week. And let's start with the telling game of the week. And this is going to be a question of who's real and who's not, and that's going to be Colgate at Furman. Furman got blasted last week. I mean wrecked. Colgate coming off a win against UNH. Now the question is, is one of these teams the real thing of what we're seeing so far for the first two weeks? Or are both of them just lying to our faces? Man, listen. I was all in on Furman over Elon. Mm-hmm. I was all in on I thought Elon was like spoken mirrors. I thought they were going to fall back. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> now, I'm not going to put too much stock in one game. But I do like this matchup. I'm glad you picked it because that's a game that we're going to spotlight heavily in our FCS kickoff videos because this is a pivotal game for both teams. One that could tell you a lot about both. So I like how you put it. Let's move to the trap game now. I'm interested to hear this one. I, I'm going, I told you CAA. You actually just mentioned them. Elon. Oh. At William & Mary. Now, William & Mary, they won their first game, lost to an FBS opponent in Week 2. But again, they've got something to play for this year, the last year of Jimmy Laycock. What is the best way to honor Jimmy Laycock, and that is to beat teams that you're not supposed to? (laughs) William & Mary against Elon. Again, we we talked about William & Mary. Last year was was an aberration. They're not usually that bad. We'll figure out how good they are in that game, and I think Elon might too. 
Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. I'll give you another trap game that I just saw on the schedule that it intrigued me enough to where I got to bring it up. But when you look at this team and you look at who they're playing, mm-hmm. there's a recipe for uh, an upset. Uh huh. Mercer at Sanford. Ooh. Keep an eye on that one. Coach Bobby Lamb does a great job coaching his team up. He's a great coach. Uh, Mercer has some talent. They're an experienced group. This is a game that could be a trap game for Sanford. Interesting. I've got two unsung games now. Princeton at Butler. Again, with what you said, with Butler going 2-0 to start the season. Princeton, we expect high-octane high offense from them, so we'll see what happens there. But the other one I have, North Alabama at North Dakota State. This is supposed to be a blowout on paper. North Alabama is proving that nothing is written on paper, especially when the final score is written. This is Both games could be very, very interesting this weekend. You, those are two games I can't argue with. We talked about Princeton and Butler because of obvious reasons. Princeton has a ton of talent. Um, Butler has proven that, hey, we don't care. We can go out there and win. And this North Alabama-North Dakota State game, this is going to be one that I think a lot of people will be wanting to watch just to see if the impossible could happen or how close it gets to being an upset. This is going to be a great game. game, That game could easily end up 45-7. But... It could end up in the mid-30s for both teams. 24-20. Yeah, that, that, that scary game. And now the best game of the week for me, and I, I believe this is the FCS Stats game of the week as well, Nichols at McNeese. This is going to be, this might decide the Southland easily. I love Louisiana football, number one. <laughs> Obviously, I'm biased. but You just want the tailgating hey, hey, Oh, man. And, and you talk about these two programs. These are two programs that have had their success in the FCS and within this conference. So I, I'm excited because... I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Coach Rebo and what he's done at Nichols. I love their program. He's a great guy. I also have a, 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 an affection for McNeese State and what they do with their program and how they go about their business. They've been one of the more consistent teams in the FCS. So I'm excited for this game. I will be watching this game as strictly a fan, just wanting to see good football because, again, it doesn't get better than South Louisiana football uh, on a Saturday. Let's go into a few other previews here to wrap things up here, Emery. And we're going to start with Valparaiso. Quick loss to Duquesne in their last matchup. They are at Youngstown State. We know what the problems that the Penguins have had. What is going to happen here? Does Valpo pull a shock again? I mean, they barely, they almost lost, they almost beat Duquesne. There's no way they can beat Youngstown State. Can can they? It's always a possibility. (laughs) So that's the thing. It's a possibility, but this is going to be another one of those intriguing games. Let's go into the next one. Northwestern State at Lamar. This is going to be a game that's going to be a lot off a lot of people's radar for sure. Northwestern State versus Lamar. This could be an interesting one. Yeah, because they are fresh off of blowing out Grambling. Right. Could they be overlooking Lamar? I know Lamar just got blown out. That's another reason why it's intriguing to me because this could be what you called earlier a trap game. Another game that's not going, not going to be on a lot of people's radars. Indiana State taking on Eastern Illinois. What are we expecting from this one? Trap game for Eastern Illinois, you think? Well, I want to see more of Indiana State. I want to see how mm-hmm. they can you know, get this thing going in the right direction. I'm a big fan of Coach uh, Mallory and what he's doing over there. Uh, so I want to see how can the Sycamores start to claw their way back up the uh, Missouri Valley Conference rankings. Why do you have this game on the schedule? East Tennessee State taking on VMI. I mean, this game should be over by halftime the way VMI's been playing this season. Therein lies the reason. Uh, Trap game for East Tennessee State. No, they held. They they were, they looked 
solid for a quarter no. against Tennessee. No, I love the key debts, but no. If, if the key debts are going to get one this year, this would be the game that they could steal. So I, I'm interested to see how they get out there and compete. Intriguing game this next one. Murray State taking on the University of Kentucky. Are you predicting a potential uh, a fall off from the hype of Kentucky beating Florida? Is that what this is? Somebody check in on Kentucky because they may still be out there partying in the streets <laughs> after beating Florida. So that's why I had this game on this list. They could be in for a letdown. Not saying they're going to lose, but this game will be closer than a lot of people think. And one more game on the schedule. And again, talk about a telling game. We don't know what the situation is with, uh, with Northern Arizona, with Case Cookus. They're at Missouri State. Well, obviously, if he plays, okay, fair enough. But if he doesn't play, we're going to get a real good view of what this team is going to be like. Well, according to you, they should be just fine with the next man up. You just gave the great speech I believe, earlier. I believe so. And, I believe they will. And they showed it in this game, uh, in the last game against Eastern Washington. So we'll see, man. This is something I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in seeing how teams rebound, and that's going to be big for me. Exactly. Folks, again, thank you for listening in to our Week 3 preview before we go, Emery, you got a, a quick thing to mention here. What what do you got for us? This weekend, I will be the color commentator at Savannah State Howard. The reason why you should watch that game on ESPN three, one because I'm gonna be on the broadcast, but two, <laughs> Kalen Newton, outstanding player in the FCS, Cam Newton's brother. But Savannah State last year in FCS before going down to Division two, they have a great defensive prospect. Should be a great game. And Howard, which Howard will show up? The team that barely Bingo. beat Ohio or the one that got crushed by Kent State? You can't make this up. Also, shout out to the Springfield College Pride. 42 nothing win over Keene in Week 2. 2-0, 42 points a game. I like that formula. Right. Folks, again, thanks for listening in. We'll be back next week. We'll finally have a preview of the Ivy. We'll see what those teams can bring to the table. We'll be back again for Week 3. Thanks for listening.